Good morning, beloved. As you are standing, if you can grab your Bibles once again, and if you could open up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. It is a beautiful picture from up here to look at God's people holding his word in, in their hands. Hebrews chapter 3, the word of God reads, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For just as for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession, or excuse me, our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Here ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for opportunity for us to gather today to worship you, to worship you in song, in the study of your word, and in fellowship. And as we turn our attention to the study of your word now, we ask for your spirit to teach us. Help us to understand your word that we might know you more. Guide us in discerning how we are to be doers of what we learn. And guard us from all distractions as we now look to fix our eyes upon your son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated, beloved. If you are just joining us now for our study through the book of Hebrews, we encourage you to go back and, and study through the first two chapters that we have covered already. Uh, we know in those chapters, the, the writer of Hebrews has already argued that Jesus is superior to angels. He has described Jesus as the author of a great salvation. And now in chapter 3, he turns our attention to Moses. And it's important for us to remember that Hebrews was originally written to Jewish believers. Jewish believers that were facing many challenges that were stemming from their faith in Jesus. The temptation that was before them was to fall back from the new covenant in Christ into the old covenant in Judaism. And thus we see the purpose for the argument of the author of Hebrews to speak of Christ's supremacy over Moses. Now, for many of us, we do not look at Moses in the same manner as the Jews did. In Jewish history, Moses was revered as the greatest of all Hebrews. He is held in Jewish history as the greatest man of history. Numbers 12, verse 3, we read this. Now the man Moses was very meek. This word here means humble. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. What a testimony of who he was, of his character. Now, keeping in this in mind about what they believed about Moses and how they revered Moses, we need to see in, in context of Hebrews 3, the author does not in any, in any way belittle, belittle, woo, that's a hard word, belittle, or criticize Moses. He is not demeaning to the stature and the greatness of Moses. He speaks of Moses' greatness. But in describing Moses' greatness, he shows how much greater Jesus is, far greater than Moses. He specifically speaks about the faithfulness of the Son, which is what I've titled this sermon this morning, The Faithfulness of the Son. So let's begin by thinking about what we know about Moses. Now, if this was Sunday school, I would just throw out some questions, have you holler back and see what we know. But since you all appear to have a Bible on your laps, if you would open up all the way back to Genesis, go one book forward to Exodus, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. I'm going to 
begin to read. We'll, we'll skim over some areas, and I'll have you follow along. But in Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, we read, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And then verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, and skipping over verse 16, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Skip down to verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people... Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And beginning in chapter 2 of Exodus, we read in verse 1, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. And later on in that verse, we see that she put him in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Down to verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside her. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then later in verse 10, we read, He became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. There we have some context about the birth of Moses and what was going on during the birth of Moses. But we know that Moses then grew into manhood. And just a chapter later in Exodus chapter 3, God calls Moses to be Israel's deliverer. So looking again to your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We read, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see... God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so we have, we have context of, of Moses' birth. We have context of his calling of being chosen by God as a deliverer of God's people. You're like, are we going to read all of Exodus this morning? 
We will not continue reading every single chapter, but we know in chapters 7 through 12, we see how God mightily worked through Moses, uh, through the plagues on Egypt. In chapter 14 of Exodus, Moses parts the Red Sea and, and the people of God cross over. And in chapter 34, upon spending 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord on Mount Sinai, where the tablets of testimony were created for the second time, Moses' appearance changed after being in the presence of God. I want you to look there. So we skip a whole bunch of chapters. Skip over to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, picking up in verse 29. Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in, in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. All right, so there's, there's no doubt from what we see in Scripture about the greatness of Moses about his intimacy with God. It has been rightly said about Moses that he was, quote, the great apostle and high priest in the Old Testament. An apostle means one who is sent, and Moses certainly was that because he was called by God, appointed by God, and sent by God as his representative, as representative both to his people and to the court of Pharaoh, end quote. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce comments, on Moses' priestly service. And F.F. F. Bruce states this. He says, quote, It was his brother Aaron, and not he who was the high priest of Israel, so far as a title and investiture were concerned. But it was Moses and not Aaron who was Israel's true advocate with God. End quote. So keep this in mind as we look at this text this morning, that Moses was Israel's true advocate with God. So Moses' actions, they were priestly. And even though Aaron and the Levites performed the priestly duties, what Moses did is he's, we saw that he sanctified Aaron. He sanctified the tabernacle. He served at the altar, and he made atonement for the people. It's just a brief overview of Moses. But I hope just a glimpse of it helps you understand the massive regard that the Jews had for Moses. It's also notable that Moses, not Aaron, passed on the priesthood to Eleazar in Numbers 20. We don't have time this morning to continue to unravel and look at all the details about Moses, but just in that short survey, it reveals his greatness. And yet, we are reminded that Moses was not without sin. And so keeping our Hebrews passage in mind this morning, the author of Hebrews was affirming Moses' greatness, but he was arguing that Jesus was far greater. And so as we look at our text in Hebrews chapter 3, we see the faithfulness of the Son. And we'll see that that faithfulness solicits a proper response from believers, as we'll see in this text this morning. We'll see that the passage in Hebrews chapter 3 begins by encouraging believers to fix their eyes on Jesus, to fix their thoughts on Christ. And it concludes with exhorting us to hold on to our confidence and our hope in Christ. 
This morning, as we go through the text, we will address three points regarding Jesus' faithfulness. Those of you that are note-takers have said, can you please slow down when you say those points? Okay. I mean, in my mind, I say, well, write faster or something, but I know it doesn't always work that way. Point number one, faithfulness as the apostle and high priest. Point number one will be faithfulness as the apostle and high priest. Point number two we'll look at is faithfulness as the builder of God's house. And thirdly, faithfulness over God's house. So again, one, faithfulness as the apostle and high priest. If you're putting down where that's found, we're going to be looking at verse 1 for that one. Secondly, faithfulness as the builder of God's house. We'll be looking at verses 2 through 4. And then thirdly, faithfulness over God's house, verses 5 and 6. All right, let's begin with our first point this morning. Faithfulness as the apostle and high priest. If you look to your Bibles, turn from Exodus back to Hebrews. Back into Hebrews chapter 3, opening up in verse 1, we read, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He starts with a therefore. And you all know as good Bible students, you need to look what it's there for. So you got to look back in context of what he's already written. He also says, therefore, holy brothers. He, he speaks of this unity together as saints of those who are holy. And so just look back a page on, on chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, to be reminded where we've come through in the study. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning of verse 10, we read, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. The author of salvation, Jesus Christ. We'll see his work down in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Hebrews 2.17 begins, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Chapter 3 is the therefore based upon that work of Christ. It's based entirely upon Christ's atoning work that we are holy brothers and sisters. In verse 1, he goes on to say, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, as holy brothers and sisters, those who share in a heavenly calling, the author of Hebrews is identifying his readers as both the recipients of Christ's work as well as those who are now to live in obedience to him. And here's the point of what he starts off with in verse 1. He says, consider Jesus. I don't know if you highlight your Bible or write in your Bible, but that would be something great to underline, to mark up. Consider Jesus. This word consider in the Greek means to observe carefully, to reflect and to contemplate it means to apply your mind diligently. The author here is not saying, oh, by the way, just glance at Christ or just briefly recall him. He is saying here to plunge yourself into the depths of his faithfulness as the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Again, the original audience would have been Jewish believers those who held Moses in a high esteem. And whether it is Moses or any other figure in redemptive history that is competing for our attention, our focus needs to be fixed upon Christ. Jesus is referred by the terms apostle and high priest only here in the book of Hebrews. The word apostle is used only here in Hebrews 3.1 in reference to Jesus. And high priest is used 12 times in this book of Hebrews. It is Jesus who represents God to humanity as 
apostle. And he represents humanity to God as high priest. Moses was the only Old Testament figure to fulfill both of these functions. And as such, he pointed forward to Christ, whom we proclaim as the apostle and high priest of our confession. And though Moses was considered the great apostle and the high priest of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is the apostle. Meaning delegate, messenger, one sent forth with orders. It is Jesus who is the apostle in that he is the one whom God sent to reveal the Father to humankind. We saw that at the opening of Hebrews. This word apostle means the sent one. John Owen uh, comments here, he says, quote, The chief qualification for an apostle or ambassador is that he is faithful, end quote. And that's what we're looking at this morning. That is what the author of Hebrews has penned, the faithfulness of the Son. And Jesus repeatedly describes himself, as a matter of fact, over 10 times in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus describes himself as being sent by the Father into the world. This speaks of Jesus as the one who represents God to mankind. We know beginning of, of Hebrews, as I referenced earlier, the very opening verse says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And look at the beginning of verse 2 of chapter 1. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus. He is the faithful apostle. He is the sent one from the Father. I mean, just reading a, a few of the handful of times we see it in John's gospel. In John chapter 3, verse 17, we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, we read in John chapter 3, verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. I'm not going to do all the references in John, but John 5.36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me, says Jesus, to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus is the sent one by the, from the Father. He is the apostle, but he is also the high priest, in that he is the one whom God anointed to represent human beings to himself. And as high priest, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. This is spoken of in, in Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 9, and in Hebrews chapter 12. We know that 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says that for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And because he was perfectly human and perfectly divine, he knows both man and God. And thus he's able to speak to men for God and to intercede to God for men. He is the one person through whom man comes to God and God to man. The author of Hebrews began to speak about Christ's work as a priest in the opening lines in, in chapter 1, midway through verse 3. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Speaking to his work as a high priest. He then continues in chapter 2. We read it earlier this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In the book of Hebrews, there are two great revelations that we see. One is Jesus Christ reveals God to people. It's the first thing. Jesus Christ reveals God to people. And secondly, Jesus Christ represents people before God. Two great revelations. 
And our confession, what the author of Hebrews refers to, is that which we take a public stand for in water baptism, namely that Christ Jesus came to earth in the flesh. And that in the flesh he lived a perfect life fulfilling the life, or excuse me, fulfilling the law of God on our behalf. And that he died a brutal death on our behalf, taking upon himself the penalty of our sin. And in so doing, he satisfied fully the wrath of God that was rightly due to us. And then he rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin and death, and now is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And then again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The faithfulness of Jesus, that he is faithful as the apostle, the one sent by God to save his people. Jesus is faithful. And Jesus is faithful as the high priest, as the one true mediator between God and man, and as the one who offered himself as the perfect offering. Secondly, this morning we see in our text faithfulness as the builder of God's house, as we look to Christ's faithfulness. Picking back up in Hebrews chapter 3, reading from verse 2 through 4, we read, Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, it's certainly true, and we see throughout Scripture, that Moses was faithful in all God's house. And Jesus' faithfulness extends far greater. God's house or, or God's household refers to the people of God. It's, it's God's family. And we see clearly here in verse 2 and 3 the continuity of the people of God that God's house is the community of believers, that the people of God are one. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2, the author begins with his comparison between Jesus and Moses. And he says that, that Moses was part of the house, or he was part of the household or the family of God, whereas Jesus, he says, is the builder of that same household or family. And so regarding Moses, in, in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, speaking of Moses, we read, And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses has spoken of very highly throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. That God would speak to him face to face, as it were. But what we read there, what God says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, speaking of Moses, he says, He is faithful in all my house. Meaning Moses is a member of the household. Whereas Jesus is worthy of more glory because he's not just a member, he's not just a brother, he's also the builder of God's house. And so the author here gives some, some look at just a natural building and he says, no matter how grand a building may be, its creator, meaning the, the architect, the engineer, always gets more glory than the building itself. Like, Take, for example, marvel at one of the designs and structures of Frank Lloyd Wright. And as you look at that, you don't ever consider just the building itself. And though you might be enamored with different facets of it, the true admiration is directed to Frank Lloyd Wright, to his architectural genius. 
And so that's what the author is doing here. He's contrasting Moses and, and, and Jesus. And we see that Jesus built the spiritual house of God, whereas Moses was a member and a leader in that house. Now, again, this doesn't demean or it doesn't minimize Moses. Rather, it further exalts Christ. Whereas Moses faithfully served within Israel, Jesus Christ created Israel. Where Moses served faithfully in the Israelite system of worship, Jesus Christ designed the system of worship. And these verses here are, are a powerful testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ. He argues that God builds everything. And since God built everything and Jesus Christ built God's house, he's saying Jesus Christ is God. And speaking of God's house, there are many helpful passages in the New Testament to help our understanding. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you're quick with the thumbs, you can turn there. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Reading through verse 22, we read about a holy temple. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. We read, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For those of you that made it to Sunday school this morning, Pastor Sean covered membership and how membership is showing that these members, these living stones are being built together into a holy temple that demonstrates the glory of God. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2 about those living stones. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, Peter writes, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Beloved, this speaks of us, each one of us who are in Christ, are being assembled together into a, a holy temple. Paul argues in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. He says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, we see this towards the end of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. We read, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God right now is assembling his people together into a holy temple, into a spiritual house. We are the people of God who then will dwell with him forevermore in all eternity. What does it speak of? It speaks of the community, the corporate community of saints is the household of God. I use the word corporate. That means togetherness. You can't build a house with one stone. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, everything else built upon that foundation. But we are together the household of God, which means there are no lone rangers in true Christianity. It means there are no individualists in the household of God. The church is not a human institution. It's a divine building that Christ builds in which he dwells. Here in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, the faithfulness of Moses and the faithfulness of the Son are spoken about. Linking Moses and Jesus, I want to refer us back to Exodus. You thought we had enough there this morning. We have not. Hopefully you can find your way back to Exodus this morning. Exodus chapter 17. Because the work that brings us together is the work of Christ. And we see that work 
back in Exodus chapter 17. Setting up some context for the chapter in Exodus 17, Israel found themselves without water, without any water to drink. And like they often did when things weren't going their way, they grumbled. And they grumbled against Moses. And so we read, if you turn there to Exodus 17, beginning in verse 3, Exodus 17, 3, but the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And while they grumbled at Moses, we also learn that they also tested the Lord. If you skip ahead to the latter part of verse 7 in chapter 17, we read, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so in summary, they complained against Moses, and they questioned whether God was present with them or if he had forsaken them. And you say, well, why are we looking at this? Because God's answer is remarkable here. It is in that chapter that the Lord directed Moses to strike the rock at Horeb with his staff. Look at verse 6. Back up to verse 6. We read, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, now I want you to notice very carefully what the Lord said. He said, I will stand before you there on that rock. The same rock that Moses was to strike. This is extremely important in what's going on here. Because the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus is far greater than Moses. And we find out what is going on here. We see the significance of Moses' actions here in the New Testament. And so we're going to connect that to what Paul describes as happening here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you can flip your thumbs on over there or tap your devices. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read beginning in verse 1, and I'll read it from verse 1 through 4. Paul is going to describe what is happening there in Exodus chapter 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. <laughs> Paul here speaks of spiritual food and spiritual drink, and he points to Christ as the fulfillment and so let's unpack this just a bit as we speak of Jesus' faithfulness as the builder of God's house. It was Moses who prophetically spoke about Christ in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. We read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses speaking, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so to the Jews, they were waiting for another prophet to come who was like Moses. And that's interesting because I'm going to connect from cover to cover here for you. So hopefully these things all, all work together and it makes sense. In John chapter 6, and you could start flipping there, but I'm going to start talking as you're flipping there. In John chapter 6, Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000. Following that miraculous feeding of the 5,000, we read in John chapter 6, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They saw the work of Christ and they said, this is him. And then we continue reading in, in John chapter 6 and the next day comes and, and the crowds find Jesus once again. Because he had fed them and they're coming for some more free food again. And they come back and they find Jesus. And beginning in verse 26 of John chapter 6, I'm going to pick up reading. 
It says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So when we're talking about striking the rock, yeah, it's still in context here. There's spiritual food and there's spiritual drink. In the very next chapter of John, John chapter 7, skip over to the next page, John chapter 7 in verses 37, 39. We're, we're advancing to the last day of the feast. We read John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, man, that was a whole lot. You took us to Exodus 17, to 1 Corinthians 10. You took us to John 6 and 7. What is going on here? Well, in the days of Moses, God rained down manna from heaven to sustain his people while they were in the wilderness. That all pointed ahead to something far better. Jesus coming down from heaven as the bread of life to give eternal life. And far better than the rock, the water that would come from the rock to sustain life in the wilderness Jesus gives to his people the Holy Spirit as the fulfillment of that rock and the water in that rock. The Holy Spirit, the seal of eternal life. It is through Christ's life, death, and resurrection that Jesus provides this spiritual food and this spiritual drink for God's house. So it is Jesus alone who is faithful as the builder of God's house as the one who brings together God's people, as the community of God's people. Thirdly, this morning, we see the faithfulness over God's house. Flip back to Hebrews. We're back into Hebrews chapter 3. Final verse in our text this morning, verses 5 and 6. We read, starting in verse 5 of Hebrews 3, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the author's last look in this text, uh, the faithfulness of the son. And he compares once again Moses to Jesus. Richard Phillips comments here and says, quote, Moses presented Israel with pictures or types of the Messiah to come, shadows that were cast backward into the Old Testament by the light of Christ and were fulfilled in his long-awaiting coming. I mean, if you think about the similarities between the two, Christ and Moses, even think about at the time of when they were born. At Moses' birth, Pharaoh ordered that every male Hebrew baby be killed by casting them into the Nile. If you remember, after Christ was born, Herod, Herod sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that surrounding region, region that were two years and younger. 
You see the types and you see the similarities throughout. And in our text this morning, in the contrasting and looking at them, we see that Moses was an apostle in verse 1, but Christ was the apostle. In verse 3, we see Moses was the member of God's house or his family, but Christ was the builder of God's house. In verse 4, Moses was connected with one house where Christ built all things. We also see in verse 4 that Moses was a man and Christ is God. In verse 5, Moses was a servant in God's house and Christ was a son over the house. Again, in verse 5, Moses was the announcer of things past and Christ speaks of things in the present. In verse 6, Moses served in God's house and Christ is son over his house. We know from Scripture that Moses was commended for his faithfulness. John MacArthur notes that in Exodus chapters 35 through 40, 22 times there are references to Moses' faithfulness to God. And here in verse 5, the Greek word used here for servant is only used here in the New Testament. It is different from the word servant or slave that we see. It is not doulos. Here, this Greek word refers to an honored servant, one who is far above a slave, but is still a servant. Moses was faithful in his service to God, but his service was in God's house. He was a member and he was a leader in the household of God. But Jesus, we read, is faithful over God's house. So I want to read again from the Gospel of John. Again, in chapter 6 that we looked at earlier, in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 38, speaking of Christ's faithfulness over God's house. John 6, 38, reading through verse 40. Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You want to talk about faithfulness? The faithfulness of the Son? to do everything the Father has asked him, and he will lose none of it. And then in John chapter 10, words you're probably very familiar with of Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus Christ is faithful over God's house. He is the one who saves to the uttermost. There is no sin that is too deep that God's grace cannot reach. We read at the beginning of the Gospel of John in opening chapter, chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the encouragement is if you are here this morning and you have not believed the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save sinners just like you, the encouragement is to believe that today would be the day of salvation, that you would come to know him both as Lord and Savior, and that you too would be included in the household of God. But this letter of Hebrews that we're studying this morning, remember it was written to believers and it was written as a letter of exhortation. And so we read at the close of verse 6 in Hebrews chapter 3, the close of verse 6, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We, beloved, are his house. We are the family of God. We are Christ's church. We are his bride this we here that we see the, the Hebrews writer uses, it, it's emphatic. It emphasizes the corporate nature of the people of God. We it is not I. It's we. It's us. Christianity is a 
corporate faith. When God calls us to faith, he calls us to community. A gospel community that is united in Christ. And because it is founded on Christ, it endures through all hardships. But the writer of Hebrews does not end this passage here just saying that we are Christ's house. He continues and states, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Once again, we, we see and we know that it is Christ who promises to lose nothing that the Father has given him. So in reality, it is Christ who holds us fast. But in evidence of him holding us fast, we hold him fast. Those who do not persevere in the faith prove that they were never Christ to begin with. But all those who are in Christ, all those who do belong to him, continue to consider Jesus, to focus on him and his finished work on the cross. And by focusing on the gospel and the goodness and the treasures that are found in Jesus, their boast will always be in him and him alone because he is the founder of our salvation. He is the one who faithfully fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy. He is the one who faithfully took on a human flesh and dwelt among us. He is the one who faithfully endured temptation and yet did not sin. He is the one who faithfully gave himself to be crucified. He is the one who faithfully became sin for us. He is the one who faithfully satisfied God's wrath that was against us. And he is the one who faithfully rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And lastly, he is the one who is faithfully stands at the one now who intercedes for the beloved. And so, though Moses was a faithful apostle and high priest, Jesus is infinitely more faithful. Before I close this morning in prayer, let's bow our heads and quietly reflect on what God has ministered to us through his word this morning. Beloved, receive this morning's benediction from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and an eternal dominion. Amen. Beloved, you are God's house. You are the household of God. Together, encourage one another, stir up love and good works in one another. Have genuine fellowship with one another where you encourage each other in Christ. If you're visiting today, we encourage you to join us after service in the fellowship hall for some refreshments. And if you're here and you have questions about this Jesus and who we preached, we would love to talk to you more about him. God bless you. Have a great week.